What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam? Welcome to the first DraftKings edition of the DFS Lab for week 14, 2023. I am your host today. I am your guest. I am JM to win. Throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed. And let's get started with a roster build for this very interesting week 14 slate. One week season. All right. So I'm flying solo today. Uh, Keegan's got some family obligations, some travel stuff. So we actually, this is going to be three this today. And this is the Friday show, the Thursday show and the Saturday show. We're going to be solo this week. So uh, by the time you guys see Keegan again, it, it will be week 15. And it will have been almost a month since we've had Keegan on here. Uh, and it will have been since the crazy thing happened with his job with his place of business burning down. Uh, so we will have him on here, I believe next week. Um, last week, we had some technical difficulties. The week before was the week that kind of the craziness happened on his end. And then this week, he has some travel stuff. So flying solo today, as you can see, I'm back home. So uh, good to be home. Good to be back in the saddle. And we are going to talk through some of the interesting components about this week 14 slate. We are going to do throw do so through the lens of a roster build. So I'm actually going to go ahead and pull up this uh, dummy account for roster building on shows up play for first account and talk through this slate. So uh, solo show we don't typically get we don't get the typical angle of this show, which is kind of the back and forth between Keegan and me and uh, Keegan being a proxy for the audience and and asking some of the questions that you guys might be asking, but what we do get is an opportunity for us to dive a little bit deeper into the macro structure of the slate and talk about some of the things that we don't typically get to talk to on the two-man show. So uh, decent trade-off, a uh, good opportunity, especially on a slate like this, to talk about uh, what makes this slate so particularly unique. So we're actually just, I, I can go position by position and talk through some of this. Uh, you look at the quarterback position and there's just a lot of places, I'll say it like this, as we always talk about, we always want to be thinking about those first place finishes. So if you're an inner circle member, a subscriber on OWS, you know, like the third, fourth, fifth layers that we we mean when we talk about playing for first place, including how you give yourself fewer things you need to get right and how you push buttons so that basically building anti-fragile rosters, rosters so that when other people's rosters get broken, your rosters get strengthened and um, all the unique things that we can be looking to do from a strategy and game theory perspective, changing up our salary structure and so on and so forth to clear out our path to a first place finish. But the first starting point, and it's crazy how many people miss this casual players, how many casual players miss this, is the first starting point is building a roster around players who can actually post tournament winning scores, players who can post scores that separate you from the field. So one of the things that we want to think about on a week like this, similar to last week, is that a score, last week being week 13, and, and if you played in week 13, you saw, right, there were not very many big scores on that slate, and we knew going into the slate that it was going to be a slate like that. So our eye level for what we're looking for, from a, for in terms of a tournament winner becomes a little bit different on a week like that. We start thinking a little bit more about, uh, okay, anybody who provides 20 to 25 points could end up being being valuable because if there's only two, three, four guys who end up scoring 30 plus, then yes, you want to make sure that you are giving yourselves opportunities to get those scores. 
but you also don't want to stretch yourself on like really thin plays that, Hey, but this guy could go for 30 plus and then miss out on the guys who are just going to be the solid 20, 25 point score. So some different things that we want to think about on a week like this, if you're an OWS subscriber, obviously we'll talk a lot more about this as we move deeper into the week in terms of how to approach a unique slate like this. Uh, another thing we want to think about though, is who can actually separate from the field. And so for example, last week I was, if you were paying attention on OWS, you knew that I was going to be 100% Tyree kill. Who cares about the price tag, right? I was going to be 100% Tyree kill because even if he missed, it was going to be 26, 27 points in that game against Washington. And if he hit, he had the ceiling to go for as much as 45 to 50. So he ended up putting up, what was it? 35, 37. Uh, you weren't totally buried on a typical slate with a 9,600 player going for about four X's salary. But on a week like last week where there just weren't that many big scores available, you kind of had to have Tyree kill. And so we kind of looked at that as an opportunity where you probably are going to end up having to have this guy and so just lock him into your rosters. Similarly, we it's so difficult to pick which 49ers piece is going to hit. And on a week like last week, one of the things that we knew was we don't we can't predict which of these guys is going to hit, but one of them is going to hit. One of these, really one of these three pass catchers last week, uh, Christian McCaffrey was, was devalued in my own thinking, in my own approach. And so what I did was, I, you know, I had like 8 to 10% Christian McCaffrey, but then across the other 90% of my rosters, I mixed and matched Debo and Ayuk and Kittle. And so the trap that a lot of people fall into in their thinking is, well, yeah, I get the one guy right. Like if, if you mix and match Debo and Ayuk and Kittle last week, you get Debo right. But then, oh, like 60% of my rosters have Ayuk and Kittle who don't end up hitting. Well, Ayuk didn't really kill you because he still put up, what was it, 14, 16 points, something like that. Uh, Kittle, who actually, actually went heaviest on Kittle, he was the exact same price tag as Debo. I had so much uh, tight end and then Kittle in the flex where I could have had Debo in the flex, but uh, kind of took my stance on, on taking a bigger swing on Kittle. He ended up putting up, what was it, 10 points. Debo put up his 38-pointer. Uh, and so the, the faulty thinking can be, well, if I'm mixing and matching these guys and I don't know which guy's going to hit, like I'm going to take a bunch of rosters that are now out of the running. But what we should really be thinking about is what is the first place roster in a tournament on that given week going to look like? And so if we rewind our thinking to week 13, we can look at that and say, there's probably not going to be that many 30 point scores. And we're probably getting a 25 to 30 plus point score from one of these San Francisco pass catchers, which means that the first place roster in most tournaments is going to have that 25 to 35 point score from that San Francisco pass catcher. And so rather than putting ourselves in a position where we're going to be chasing that score, we want to put ourselves in a position where we are that score that other people are chasing. So it's worth it to take the 60% of rosters with Ayuk and Kittle that don't end up hitting in order to get that 30% of rosters with Debo on it on a week where there's not going to be that many 30 point scores and you just lock in. Now you have the Tyreek 35 pointer, the Debo 38 pointer, and you're so far ahead of the field. Also I had uh 40% owned uh, on Brock Purdy last week uh, and got that 30 pointer as well. Incredibly um, still not a, a big week for me because of just running back uh, demolition took all the kind of the cheap running backs and not the expensive guys. But um just when you can give yourself that opportunity, right? If we play out that slate a hundred times, there's going to be times in that slate where Ramondre Stevenson doesn't get hurt. There's going to be times in that slate where Jalen Warren or Najee Harris end up hitting for a big game. Obviously had some Zach Moss as well, went under, underweight the field on Zach Moss from strategy perspective, but, uh, and we'll talk about Zach Moss again here in a little bit, uh, but that was because he was playing in such a difficult matchup. And so if he's going to be so over-owned just because of the price tag, then you can say, okay, well, what's one of the best pathways to first place? He's not in a soft matchup. He's playing the, what was the number two run defense by DVOA is now the number one run defense by DVOA in Tennessee. It's like there are clear pathways. I said it all week last week. There are clear pathways to Zach Moss scoring under 10 points. And if he's going to be 50, 60, 70% owned, well, that's a pretty clear way to get to that first place finish is 
is bet on him having one of those types of games. Obviously, you have other rosters that bet on him having a big game. Uh, so you're going to have weeks where if you are, you know, we look at the, we try to look at every week through that macro lens of like what would happen if we played out this slate 100 times. So we play out last week 100 times. Purdy's going to hit a lot in that matchup with that setup. We talked about that a lot last week. You're going to have all the hits from Tyreek Hill, which was pretty high percentage. You're going to have the right 49ers piece. So then you're going to have a lot of weeks in this 100-week sample size where the other pieces fall into place on a week where very few rosters score 200-plus points. Well, you're getting over 100 points from these three players. And again, you're going to have 60% of your rosters that aren't hitting because you're you're mixing and matching the 49ers pieces that didn't hit. But it's all about getting that one roster that gets to first place. Well, now you've got 100 points from 105, 110 points, whatever it was, from three spots. And you still have the other six spots left to get the other hundred points that you need to win a tournament on a week like that. So uh, we always want to be thinking about what the week provides for us, right? If it were a week where there's just plentiful 30 point scores available, then it's one of those weeks where you don't necessarily want to mix and match all the 49ers pieces uh, because you don't want to take the 60, 70% of rosters that are missing because this one 30 pointer, or maybe, maybe doesn't end up being a Debo's 38 pointer. Maybe he doesn't score that last, last touchdown, right. It ends up being a 27 pointer, 25 pointer. Well, you don't want to take all these duds to try to get that 25 pointer. Uh, and you know, you can just take the higher confidence bets on a different type of week. Um, so hopefully you followed some of that. If you didn't, it's pretty valuable stuff. So go back and listen to it again. But, uh, this week sets up similarly to last week where there's not going to be that many separator types of scores. So that does mean that we can be a little bit more willing to take on, you know, who are the guys who might not post a separator score, but could just get us really solid points. We can be a little bit more willing to go to those types of guys. But we also want to be thinking very much so about who could actually separate from the field on a week like this and make sure that we're pinpointing those types of players. So uh, some kind of quick position by position rundown. Um, you know, we got Josh Allen playing against Kansas City where Kansas City's defense is just not not allowed much from the quarterback position uh, on the season. We have Patrick Mahomes playing against this, this Bills defense, and let's look at Patrick Mahomes' game logs on the year, right? He's still priced up because he's Patrick Mahomes. He has the name value. He's got this 38-pointer in a shootout, or it was didn't end up being a shootout, but that shootout mindset type of game against the Chargers, a really bad pass defense. And then 25.6-pointer. We look at everything else and 25.2 pointer. We got 20, we got 15, 19, 21, 8, 16, 17, 20, 14. Uh, so again, not to say that he can't hit in this game, but just say like, this is what this slate is giving us. The two highest ceiling guys or the highest ceiling guy in Josh Allen and, and the guy in our minds who still has this high ceiling in Patrick Mahomes are playing against each other in a game environment that doesn't really set up all that great. Now, this is the type of game environment where both teams, each team is going to be aggressive, is going to recognize that there might be a need to score points. Now, this is a little bit different from, say, Bills and Eagles or 49ers and Eagles, where both teams are forced towards the air and both teams have clear pathways if they just stay aggressive throughout the game, just racking up a bunch of points. Uh, Kansas City has not allowed a lot of points. Uh, Buffalo has not allowed a lot of production to uh opposing passing attacks because they force opposing passing attacks to work the shorter areas of the field. So both teams are also going to know, Hey, these are really good defenses. We want to be smart. We don't want to be too aggressive. So there's that outside chance this develops into a shootout because of some of the things we've talked about on the site throughout the year that the, you get two offenses together, two good quarterbacks together and the mindset shifts for the offensive play callers of we got to stay aggressive. We got to score as many points as we can. So there's that outside chance that that happens in this game, but this is also kind of a different setup than some of the other games like this that we've talked about this year. You know, that Mahomes game, that it wasn't a shootout. Uh, the Chargers only scored 17, but you go in with that mindset of, hey, we're playing against Justin Herbert. we got to score a lot of points, and you have this bad Chargers defense that you know you can attack, right? So you end up with this 37-pointer from Patrick Mahomes, his best game of the season, because you're in that type of game environment where you know you need to be more aggressive, where you know that there's potential for no lead to be safe. 
uh, could be a little bit of a different setup in this one with the defenses in play. But something to think about there, but just kind of to illustrate, you know, what the range of outcomes is on this. Uh, we have Lamar Jackson playing against this pesky uh this pesky Rams defense that has really not allowed a lot of production. And again, we, we recognize that Lamar Jackson can do this, that he did, did early in the season, the 29 pointer, the 32 pointer, the 37 pointer in this game against Detroit, again, shootout type of mindset ended up being a blowout win, but you go into that game knowing that Detroit can score in bunches and you can't run the ball against Detroit. One of those like one, two combo punches that we love similar to the Philadelphia type thing where we see these shootouts develop against Philadelphia against Detroit, because you can't run against, against Jacksonville. You can't run against these defenses and they're like the other side of the ball has an offense that can score points. So it's just like, let's stay aggressive. Let's keep passing the ball. So uh, we see these, these games develop for Lamar Jackson. And then you also see all the rest of these games, right? The 14, the 15, the 12, the 11, the 23, the 18, the 11. Uh, and similar, similar setup last year, right? Where it's just like you had two big games last year and then everything else was kind of in the, the teens and twenties. Uh, CJ Stroud playing against the Jets. Uh, Justin Herbert playing against this Denver defense that forces everything short. And, and Herbert again, similar in that with the, Injuries now, maybe Josh Palmer comes back this week, but with the injuries, like the ceiling hasn't been there. We've got this 32 pointer that's kind of what you need at his price tag, another 32 pointer. Uh, and then kind of the 20s and the teens is what we've seen from Justin Herbert this year. Uh, so, kind of on down the list, and there's just like not that many places where you say, man, this could really separate from the field. So, um, some spots that I'll be eyeing in terms of potential separators Justin Fields, again, uh, uh, Detroit defense that you can't run against. So we like that. Obviously you can run with the quarterback. He picked up hundred yards last year. I believe it was, it was last year. He picked up hundred yards in both games against Detroit, but maybe it wasn't quite 100 in both, but one of them was like 145 rushing yards or something like that. Uh, and then this, uh, yeah, 104 yarder this year. So, um, Justin Fields very much stands out as a guy who could separate on this slate. And Brock Purdy stands out as a guy with an outside shot at separating on this slate. Although we're going to look at the running back position here in a moment uh, and see what I really like there. But kind of you see how like thin this is because then we get down to like the the Jameis Winston's against Carolina, who's got a really good pass defense, tilts opponents towards the ground. Uh, Baker Mayfield against Atlanta, who uh, has a really good pass defense, doesn't typically allow big games. And we see Baker Mayfield solid all season, right? But nothing that's going to win you a tournament throughout this season. And again, not to say that that can't suddenly pop up, but just like low likelihood chance on these. So if we're trying to isolate, we're going to build a roster, talk about this slate. Who are the best plays on this slate? Like none of this is really popping to us. I do think Jake Browning is interesting. I would have liked him a lot more if he hadn't had that big game on Monday Night Football. Everybody got to watch it. The price didn't adjust. Uh, I haven't looked at ownership yet. It's Thursday. I, I usually look at that Friday morning. So I don't know if he's going to be semi-popular this week. I could see people just looking at that as a fluke. But again, this Indianapolis team is a team that you can attack through the air. Now, this Jacksonville setup was different because Jacksonville is one of these teams you can't run against and they're able to score points on offense. So it kind of forces a more aggressive game, whereas this game against Indianapolis could be more like this game against Pittsburgh where you're only throwing the ball 26 times with Jake Brown and you're leaning on, leaning on the run a little bit more. Uh, good thing is that you're not going to run into what you ran into with Pittsburgh, which is Pittsburgh controlling the clock, controlling the ball because Indianapolis plays really fast. They play aggressive. So uh, interesting setup there, but uh, we are going to go ahead. Let's go ahead and throw Justin Fields onto this roster and then move over to the running back position. The running back position is really interesting because in, in fact, let's look at flex at the top. Who's likeliest. We always want to ask this question. Like who of the expensive players is likeliest to post the best score on the slate? Well, Stefan Diggs is playing in this game against Kansas city. Again, could be a shootout. Could he could get up to 25, 30 points. What are his pathways to like 38 points, 42 points. You could draw that up, but it would have to be in a game. I would not play Stefan Diggs without 
Josh Allen and other pieces from this game. You would have to draw up a story. I, I shouldn't say I wouldn't because, again, a 30-pointer this week might be really valuable. He could hit 30 with Josh Allen only hitting 22. But with how difficult the matchup is, you almost want to just tie that all together and say it's going to be a, yes, difficult matchups and, and this game could be low scoring, but also both aggressive quarterbacks, good offenses could end up developing into that shootout. And so you just want to place that full bet. So Stefan Diggs in isolation doesn't make a ton of sense. Keenan Allen in isolation against Denver, a uh, Denver team that again is not allowing a lot of yards to wide receiver. Nico, Nico Collins kind of broke through that last week, but not allowing a lot of yards or catches to wide receivers uh, forces everything short and kind of difficult for Keenan Allen to have this big game. Um, there are knocks on Justin Jefferson, obviously uh, not a good match against this Las Vegas secondary. It is a secondary. We've talked about it. Uh, we talked about it. Well, actually, we've talked with Tyreek Hill against Las Vegas and Carolina. The difference between secondaries that are good because they're disciplined and they communicate well and they're structurally sound and defenses that are good because they're just super talented, right? So Las Vegas and Carolina, both defenses that are really good because they don't make a lot of mistakes and they communicate well and they're they're structurally sound. And so they're able to design a defense that says, okay, we're going to force you to work underneath and we're not going to give up big plays and uh, they can kind of win that way or against a lot of wide receivers. But as we saw with Tyree Kill in both of these matchups, a really good wide receiver isn't going to have problems with a matchup like that, the way that um, you know your average wide receiver, your average uh, your average above average wide receiver is going to struggle in a matchup like that. Uh, average above average uh, passing attack is going to struggle in a matchup like that. So outside shot that Justin Jefferson could have a big game, but again, not a great matchup. Josh Dobbs under center. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, something we talked about the last time that the Bears and Lions played is people look at the Bears as this awful pass defense. Uh, since they gave up 171 yards to Mike Evans, ton of yards, right? But 171 yards to Mike Evans in week two, pretty long time ago. Uh, since then, the best game they've given up to a wide receiver, 77 yards to Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, at his price tag, that's not going to get it done. So uh, outside of that game to St. Brown, I believe the best game they've given up is still 65 yards. So just not a great matchup. And again, it's it's a structural thing, but uh, St. Brown isn't like a this big play guy who's just going to beat this defense downfield. And so it's a, it's a thing where Matt Eberflus's structural setup on defense that with the Colts, same thing. Just filter targets away from wide receivers, filter targets to running backs and tight ends. Just not a great setup for him to have a tournament winning game in this spot. Camara, another interesting one where uh, the field could be trapped in just looking at, man, Camara against the Panthers. We talked about this last week with Rashad White. The Panthers, awful against the run. Panthers really good against running backs through the air. Actually went into last week ranked, I believe last week they were ranked seventh in DVOA against running backs through the air. Now they're up to fourth, fourth toughest matchup for running backs through the air. So where you're talking about Kamara gets most of his value through that, you know, work through the air. And again, last week, I think Rashad White had like three catches for 20 yards, something like that. We can actually uh, pull that up. Uh, but it was kind of on the lower end of what you typically expect from Rashad, three catches for 22 yards, the lower end of what you expect from Rashad White through the air, where you've got this 28 yarders, 47, 46, 70, 65, right? Uh, and he's down in this, you know, 10, 10 yards here against Indy, 22 yards, though, in this game against Carolina. And so it's kind of like, can Kamara hit the touchdowns? Yeah, but like where we really get our value from him is not his work on the ground, right? 
he's not David Montgomery. Where we're getting our value from him is his work through the air. And so if it's a tough matchup through the air, this green 30th right here draws the eye for a lot of people. It's going to look like, oh, this is a great matchup. Uh, and it's not actually as great of a matchup as it seems. So um, kind of go through this whole list. You know, you got uh, Mike Evans in a tough matchup against Atlanta. Doesn't mean he can't hit, but again, tough matchup against Atlanta. Uh, Nico Collins, tough matchup against the Jets. Austin Eckler is, is kind of dead at this point. Uh, Jamar Chase got Jake Browning throwing to him. So can he pay off the price tag? He did it last week. Can he do it again? Uh, and then Devontae Adams, right? Not not emphasized in this current iteration of this offense with uh, Aiden O'Connell under center and Antonio Pierce as the coach. Uh, we see kind of the 13 target games, but he's not topping 86 yards. He's not having these big games, right? He has this one game with, I believe that was still Jimmy G starting in this game right here. Uh, definitely wasn't Aiden O'Connell, but uh, I think it was Jimmy G who started this game. Uh, he's got this one big game, right? And everything else has been kind of, why are we still paying this price tag? So uh, again, I'm not saying I'm not going through this list and saying none of these guys can hit, but I'm just giving you a sense of the shape of this this high priced range. So who is likeliest to produce the top score from the high priced guys? It's Christian McCaffrey, right? Uh, and again, he's not putting up the type of scores I think that people imagine he's putting up. We we kind of drew a line in the sand last week and looked at the difference between Tyree Kill and Christian McCaffrey, where Tyree Kill had topped 20, I think it was like 26.8 points, something like that. He had done that in eight out of 11 games. Now it's been nine out of 12 games for Tyree Kill. Same price tag, basically, right? Christian McCaffrey's done it four times. So Tyree Kill is like so far separated from Christian McCaffrey, but I think people still have that mindset of Christian McCaffrey. And yet, we're, what we've talked about, right? This is a week where 20-point scores could be valuable. 25-point scores could be valuable. And we know he's capable of this 51-pointer. We know he's capable of going 28.9. We know he's capable of going 33.9, which he did against Seattle just a couple weeks ago. So uh, this is sort of a week where, to me, Christian McCaffrey, from a standpoint of how consistent he is, how high his ceiling is, and then how thin the other high-priced pieces are, he really stands out to me. So I'm going to throw Christian McCaffrey on this roster. Uh, and then sort of wrapping up running back. Interesting week. Well, actually, let's, let's wrap up wide receiver a little bit because we talked about these high-priced guys. Uh, we get down here, not a good matchup for Alave. Uh, nice that Jameis will be under center because he'll chuck the ball to him. Uh, we could justify mixing and matching the 49ers pass catchers. Uh, we've looked at this this year, but there have been a lot of times where McCaffrey hits actually since McCaffrey joined the team McCaffrey hits and that tends to lead to one of these pass catchers hitting as well so they do go hand in hand to some extent so uh, you can go with one of these uh, the mix and match of these pass catchers and say you probably don't get 35 plus points 30 plus points but you could get one of these 25 to 28 pointers and there's always that outside shot of a 35 pointer from one of these guys. Uh, DJ Moore, kind of you auto pair him with Justin Fields at this point. So we'll go ahead and do that. Uh, but we look at the rest of these guys. DK Metcalf obviously, obviously has the high ceiling, put up this 40.4 pointer against Dallas last week. And we've seen all this usage, the 12 targets, the 14 targets that were only five catches, the 10 targets that were only four catches. Uh, but 20.4, this was his second best game since Geno Smith took over under center. Now, uh, he did put up like a 37 pointer in the playoffs DK did la last year against San Francisco. So again, that doesn't kind of go into our factor, our factoring of like the scores that he's posted because we're looking at regular season stuff. But we have to keep that in mind. Like he's capable of doing that. He's capable of posting this 40.4 pointer. He gets that type of usage, but basically, you know, what, what is it? Two times out of 30 games, some, somewhere around there, two times out of 30 games, one out of, one out of every 15 games, he's going for this monster game. And the other 28 out of 30 games, he's going for 20.4 or fewer DraftKings points of this price tag. Um, all right, kids, kids watching a movie downstairs, got some noise with the door open. Um, so you kind of look through the wide receiver and you're, it's like, it is really thin this week, right? You got the, the, again, the bills in this matchup against Kansas City. 
Um, and like, it's to a point, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's to a point where I've been considering like Garrett Wilson, who's never topped like 20.4 points with Zach Wilson under center, uh, where I've been considering Garrett Wilson this week, uh, just because he's going to see a lot of targets and he can put up that 15 to 20 point game. And he still has that outside shot at like a really big game. Um, been considering Rasheed Rice, who has this one game over 20 points. Um, obviously, Elijah Moore is going to stand out to a lot of people. So with how thin wide receiver is this week, there is justification to going with three running backs or with two tight ends. But we'll, we'll talk about a three running back build on this one. What's interesting here as well, though, is it's not like there's a bunch of running backs who really pop up, pop off the page. So uh, we're going to get another show in a couple of days. I don't want to spend too much time on this one, but uh, I'm going to throw Zach Moss on here. Zach Moss, one of my favorite plays uh, this week. He played all but four snaps last week. He'll still be popular this week, but I think a lot of people will move. We won't see nearly the ownership that we saw on him last week. So at 5,900, the price tag jumping up is actually beneficial to us because it draws a little bit of the ownership away. Uh, and this week, I believe it was uh, Cincinnati ranks 32nd in DVOA against the run. Maybe it's like 29th, but it's like bottom four, bottom five in DVOA against the run. Last week, Tennessee ranked number two. Again, now they rank number one. So he goes from play, playing basically the worst matchup for running backs to one of the absolute best matchups for running back. And again, he played all but four snaps last week. He saw every single running back touch. So uh, Zach Moss has kind of this basically 18 touches is his low end and his high end is 30 to 32 touches. And you look at under, other running backs priced around them and if most of these guys, if they get to 18 touches that's a pretty good game, right? So Zach Moss just really leaps off the screen to me this week. And I like the idea of pairing Zach Moss and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, some other guys we can kind of look at in here, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and isolate two that I'll talk about. One is Joe Mixon. Like I said, uh, kind of an opportunity for the Bengals to lean on the run a little bit more. Chase Brown got mixed in this last week, but only played 11 snaps. So they're wanting to get a look at him, but we still saw 19 carries and a bad run matchup for Joe Mixon and these seven targets that really stands out to us as well. So uh, Joe Mixon, again, he's rarely hitting for these big games. He's got the 29.7 pointer. Uh, his second best, best game this year, right? This 21 pointer. We got the 17 pointer, this, the 20 pointer, but everything else is, you know, these low teens. And this is kind of what Mixon has been doing since last year outside that 50 point blow up in, uh, week nine of last season also was the uh, Justin Fields first blow up at 5,500. So uh, who knows? Maybe we get that again. Probably not. Uh, but Joe Mixon, interesting this week. And Bajan Robinson, actually interesting. Tampa, who is a run matchup that we typically avoid, that teams typically avoid, typically teams throw the ball a lot against Tampa. They've dropped to 17th in DBOA against the run. They are facing like their, their opponent pass rate over expectations against them has been dropping and dropping recently. Uh, so part of that Levante David being hurt uh, Devin White being hurt. Both those really hurt them. Two, two uh, key linebackers for the Bucks. So it made it an easier run game matchup. Vita Bea, Vita Bea has been inconsistent this year. So all of that's kind of combining. Uh, this week, I believe it is uh, Levante David is on track to return and Devin White is on track to miss again. I might have that flipped around, but it uh, looks like one of them will miss, one of them will play. So not a soft matchup, but not as difficult as of a matchup as we would have thought of it before. And I want to bring up this, um, bu, 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 where's Desmond Ritter? Okay. So Desmond Ritter early in the season, we got 32 pass attempts, 38, 31, 37, 47, right? He gets benched. They bring him back and they're like, whatever, we're not doing that anymore. He's got 21 pass attempts. He's got 27 pass attempts. They've turned back into the 
Marcus Mariota offense from last year, uh, the late season Desmond Ritter offense from last year, where they're like really trying to run the ball as much as they can. So in this matchup where it's not as difficult to run as it was earlier in the season, and Bajan Robinson has been emphasized more recently, 22 carries, 16 carries, 18 carries, plus these targets that he's getting, uh, he really stands out to me on this slate as well. So I'm going to go ahead and throw him onto this roster. Now, as you see, this really starts to tighten up our salary, but also we're kind of prioritizing here, like where are some of the spots where we can really get um, the sort of upside that we're looking for. So uh, we could obviously pair Cole Komet with Justin Fields. What I'm going to do, and actually really quickly, let's look at DJ Moore's last four games, why I just kind of auto paired him with Justin Fields. His last four games with Fields, 25.4, 22.6, 52.0, and 30.1. Even these ones, right? We got the 4.5 pointer to start the season. 19, 13.1. I mean, his this one 13 point game, at this salary, 6,500 on a week like this, the fact that he has scored... 19 plus points, even just 19 plus points in five of his last six games with Justin Fields under center, uh, 22 plus in four of his last six games, 25 plus in half of his last six games with Justin Fields under center. So uh, just a really nice setup there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and skip over Cole Komet because there are some other places we can go save a little bit of salary. Isaiah likely, obviously interesting this week in a good match, but again, you could go double tight end here as well. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw Tyler Conklin on here. So this is going to uh, take cats keep opening the door. This is going to take Garrett Wilson off of our list, but Tyler Conklin, uh, who, you know, again, we look through these scores. Here's Zach Wilson games, 14 points, 12 points, 10 points, 9.8 points, uh, tallied it up earlier in the week. I think it was 10 games with Zach Wilson and he has 9.8 or more DraftKings points in half of those. Uh, so good matchup against Houston for tight ends and Tyler Conklin only three K and it's a week where, Look, we know Cole Komet has ceiling. Gerald Everett being used more in this offense, and, and he kind of matches up well in this spot. Uh, Njoku can put up, you know, his 10 to 15 points. But really, we're not in a week. Kittle, obviously, is a guy we have to consider from a ceiling perspective. We're not in a week, though, where we see a lot of opportunities for 25-plus point scores from, from tight ends, right? So if, you, if people are paying up and getting their 14 to 17 points and you're able to pay down and get 10 to 12 to 14 points and free up salary to kind of prioritize – the higher confidence bets on a week without a lot of higher confidence bets makes a lot of sense. So we got a nice start to this roster right here. Uh, we'll go over to, uh, well, let's go over to wide receiver first. We'll pick one of these cheaper wide receivers because there's a number of cheaper wide receivers to consider. Obviously, people are going to be on Elijah Moore this week if it looks like Amari Cooper will be out. I actually want to highlight Cedric Tillman. Cedric Tillman, who six targets last week, five targets the week before, really speedy guy, can have a downfield role, but can also catch passes underneath and pick up yards. Uh, after the catch. And I expect him to see, you know, I, I would expect five targets to be his low end on this week. Uh, again, game against Jacksonville, it's hard to run the ball. Uh, the Browns might play a little less aggressive in terms of tilting toward the air, a little less aggressive than they have in some recent weeks. And then most teams do against Jacksonville because it looks like Trevor Lawrence will miss. So there is that chess match of saying, okay, if CJ Beathard is under center for the Jags, one of the main things we need to do is just not give them the game, not make mistakes. And so uh, we could see them be a little bit more conservative in this one and maybe not pass the ball 40 plus times as they have. They did it with Dorian Thompson Robinson 43 times. They did Dorian Thompson Robinson, PJ Walker combined for 44 and then Joe Flacco threw 44. So they've been willing to throw the ball. Uh, they've been willing to throw the ball, but the, the cats after we've been gone for three weeks, just in and out of the office, um, they've been willing to throw the ball. <laughs> 
uh, with these quarterbacks. I would I wouldn't be surprised if it's more like 34, 35, 36 pass attempts in this in this game. But with Amari Cooper out, you're going to see an opportunity for Cedric Tillman to see five, six, seven targets, and it wouldn't be a shock if he sees eight or nine targets in this spot. So at only 3,400, good leverage off of a player in, in Elijah Moore who I expect to be popular and can certainly outscore Elijah Moore as well. So is he the favorite to outscore Elijah Moore? No, in terms of like if we played out the slate 100 times, who scores more points, Cedric Tillman or Elijah Moore? Who outscores the other more often? It's Elijah Moore. But when you factor in expected ownership where Elijah Moore is probably going to be somewhat popular, Cedric Tillman's probably not going to be popular at all, that leverage, you would actually make more money over time with the Cedric Tillman play. Also open up more salary, change up your salary structure to do something different from the field. And what we see here is now we don't have to go in. There are some other uh, you know tight ends down here. Like I said, uh, Elijah Moore, but even below that, Jackson Smith and Jigba in a game where the... Seahawks are going to have to throw the ball and Jigba is going to have one of these games. I mean, we're getting close to the end of the season, but he has this opportunity that he's going to have one of these games where he finally pops off for a big one. Uh, Khalil Shakir in this potential shootout against Kansas City. Odell Beckham, who again is pretty central to this offense. Nobody on this offense sees a ton of targets because they really spread the ball around. But Odell Beckham, we kind of looked through these game logs and we're still seeing like he can hit for these games. Now, touchdown here, touchdown here, and then big play here. But, you know, and so this six point type of score is still within his range in a soft matchup against the Chargers, right? Like he can still put up six points, but 11 points, 15 points, 18 points. He's a guy that kind of stands out down here as well. Zay Jones, bad match against Cleveland, but point being there, there are a lot of options down here on a week where like, you're not necessarily needing to force yourself to get up to these options over here. So what I'm actually going to do is so that I don't box myself into a wide receiver that I don't necessarily want is I'm actually going to pick wide receiver next. And I'm going to go ahead and go with Rasheed Rice here. So what I mean by that is if we pick our defense next, then we can say, okay, we've got 5,100 left at wide receiver, 4,900 left at wide receiver. And then you kind of start justifying, uh, yeah, I like this wide receiver. I can see this wide receiver hitting however you might look at it. Uh, but if we instead pick the wide receiver first, we know that defense is the less predictable position. Uh, and so this gives, uh, gives us an opportunity to say, let's get the position that we can really predict on a week where there's just not a lot of comfort on this slate uh, and, and then move over to defense, see kind of what that leaves us with at salary. Also, nothing on the defense side that just like massively stands out this week. So a uh, couple of things we could think about. We could think about the Ravens are always good, right? And they can always get sacks and turnovers. In fact, uh, their game logs are pretty ridiculous. If you want to look through them, uh, 15 points against Justin Herbert. You don't on the road against Justin Herbert. You don't typically target Justin Herbert. Uh, 14 points against Cleveland, 15 points against Seattle, Seattle, another team that doesn't turn the ball over much, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, 14 points against Detroit, a team that doesn't take a lot of sacks, doesn't turn the ball over a lot, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, uh, 11 points at Tennessee, 17 points at Cleveland, and 11 points against Houston, another team doesn't turn the ball over much or take many sacks or make many mistakes. So, uh, Baltimore 3,300, very interesting. Uh, or you could just say, Hey, let's pick on Aiden O'Connell with this really uh, aggressive and difficult to figure out Vikings defense it gives a lot of young quarterbacks problems. Uh, so we have the salary to go to either of these. And then you could also go with the Browns defense against CJ Beathard. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw, let's throw, hey, let's go ahead and throw the Ravens on here. Let's go ahead and max out salary, throw the Ravens on this roster. So what we end up with is no, no lions bring back again, because uh, the bears, yeah, they give up points, but they typically tilt teams to running backs and tight ends. And Sam, Sam Laporte is really expensive for not to say that I'm not playing any Sam Laporte, but just what my thought process is on this roster with no bring back. Sam Laporte is really expensive for a guy with a modest A dot, uh, a guy who has this 32 pointer that he just posted last week that's going to stand out in people's minds. What's his next best game? 
19.7, 19.7, 22.4. So that's four pretty solid games at his price tag. You know, three of them below, which would like 17.7, pretty good. And he's got 6.8, the 8, the 11.2, the 7.6, the 9.6, 11.3, 8.9, right? You got to remember, remember that these scores are also within his range. Uh, and then the running backs, the... Yes, the Bears tilt targets to running back. So that helps Jameer Gibbs, but Jameer Gibbs is priced so high and doesn't see enough targets to like typically justify that price tag. So I'll have some Jameer Gibbs in large field play. I'll have some Sam Laporta. But uh, just in terms of talking through this particular roster, the thought process here, it was you don't need the bring back. What you're betting on is that the, the Lions spread the ball out and score points. Doesn't mean that any individual player is going to be a player you had to have on that particular week, but the Lions are probably going to score points. And then that forces fields to throw the ball. You can't really run against Detroit. Uh, throw the ball, run the ball. Uh, good pairing there with Fields and DJ Moore, pretty high confidence pairing. Uh, and you see we have pretty high confidence, high ceiling pairings across the board on this roster with the three running backs, Zach Moss, Christian McCaffrey, throwing Bijan Robinson, uh, get the nice leverage with Tillman off of Elijah Moore. Uh, and then we get Rasheed Rice to have kind of a piece of that, that Kansas City-Buffalo game on a week where there's just not a lot of wide receivers who stand out. Uh, Tyler Conklin at tight end and the Ravens defense. So that is going to do it for today's DFS lab. As always, thanks for hanging out. Fun to have an opportunity to do one of these solos and uh, kind of talk a little bit more about the macro structure and strategy of the slate. Uh, if you like content like that and you're not a member of OWS, uh, come hang out with us this week. We have obviously like steep discounts for the rest of season stuff uh, or just check out all the free stuff that we have. But um, yeah, we will be continuing to break down the, as we call it, the picture on the puzzle box for this week's slate and figuring out what is the clearest path to a first place finish in week 14. So, uh, with that, I will see you back here on Saturday. I will see you on one week season throughout the weekend, and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.